Reality Church is a church striving to be biblical. We pray that this sermon would help you in your personal walk. Be blessed. It's, uh, I was talking to Garrett the other day. It is amazing to me. We are, after this, um, this teaching tonight, we are four more weeks away from finishing up our teaching on the attributes of God. And Garrett's like, already? And I was like, yeah, I know. It seems like it's just kind of flown by. Even though we talked about it, what was it, 16 weeks it was going to be? But now it just feels like it's just flown by. And uh, tonight, what an appropriate week for us to come to this one. Um, as you guys know, we've uh, voted, and the new name for our new church is going to be Sovereign Grace Church. Um, and tonight, we're talking about the grace of God. That's the attribute we're going to cover. So I think it's pretty appropriate that it falls under this week, that you know we've got something exciting like that to look forward to, and now we get to talk about what does it mean? You know, what does it mean, God's sovereign grace in our lives, right? What is, what is His grace, what is it really? Um, and, and Pink was, had, had a lot of re, like really good information and information that he got from other people. I, I noticed that he, he, he sought men who had actually studied before him and, and learning what he learned and then adding the scriptures into that as well which is kind of what we do, you know. We, we, look, at, we look at the Scripture first. That is the, that is the rule of faith and practice. That's what we preach. And it's good to have commentators who have studied. And, and that's one thing, you know, that I do when I'm, when I'm preparing a lesson or a sermon. And I, I've talked to Garrett about it. Like, I've been texting him. And I've literally texted him before. I don't agree with what this commentator says. And I give him the idea of it. And he, he'll hit me back and he'll say, you know what? Yeah, I think you're right, you know, or or maybe he means this, you know, some kind of input in it. You know, we we study the scripture first and then we can look at what other men have said and we see what, what the Holy Spirit is, is telling us through through the scripture as well. Um, so Pink really did a really good job on grace. Um, but first, first we need to set something straight about God's grace. God's grace is only for his elect. Pink points this out in the first few sentences of the chapter on grace. It is only for those who are in Christ. That's that's who grace is shed for. That's who gets. That's who who who. Uh, if we're going to put it in, I don't go. I guess layman Southern terms. That's the ones what get grace. Is the ones who are saved. They're the ones who are getting grace. That that's what it is. And we in Christianity have a phrase for God's holding back of wrath and judgment. And, and the good things that he gives to all people through creation, and it's sometimes referred to as common grace. I don't have a problem with it being called that. That's not the grace we're talking about, for one thing, but I think there's nothing wrong with calling it that because I think it gives it a, a nice name for us to understand, kind of that it's, it's, it's to all people that, you know, all people are going to get some good things in this life, you know, that, that his wrath isn't you sin and you immediately get... <laughs> exploded into oblivion, right? But I think, I feel a better description of that part of God is His patience and His mercy 
And we've talked about you know those things that that's kind of what it is. It's him holding back that 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 wrath and judgment, you know, and and the grace that we're talking about is only for those who are in Christ. And we need to understand that. If we're naming our church Sovereign Grace Church, let's understand what grace is. And we're going to talk about what grace is not as well because this is a sticking point for several of us in this church who were in the previous administration. I thank God that probably, um, you know, you know, Brother Jesse and Miss Jolene have had a better understanding of grace because they've been in a different type of church than we have. So they haven't seen the misuse that I'm going to talk about tonight. But I think when you hear it, you'll understand, okay, you know, we've got to make sure that we establish our church as the, as the proper type of church when, as it deals with grace. We've seen the misuse yeah, yeah. in certain churches. Yeah. So, Pink kind of gives a, uh, kind of a, 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 a thousand foot view definition that I think is pretty good as, as a starting point. He says, grace is the sole source from which flows goodwill, love, and salvation of God unto his chosen people. That grace is the vehicle, basically. For his goodwill, his, good his love towards us, his, the salvation that we receive in him, it, it, it's, it's flowing directly from God through his grace and, his, and, and who he is as a graceful God. And then, you know, we need to understand that it, it flows from him to us. You know, we don't pull it out of different areas. It, it, it's, it's coming from God towards us who are in Christ. And uh, Abraham Booth is somebody that he quoted who described it. Now, Abraham Booth is older than him. So, you know, sometimes pink, his, sometimes his terminology I've got to explain. I'm really going to have to explain Abraham, old, 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 old Abe Booth to you because he's from back in the like 17, 1600s. So listen to this, he says. It is the eternal and absolute free favor of God manifested in the vouchsafement of spiritual and eternal blessings of the guilty and the unworthy. Basically, this is what Abraham Booth is saying. Guilty and unworthy sinners are eternally saved by the awesome grace of God through Christ. That's what he's saying. And that's what grace is. It's an eternal salvation of the unworthy sinner. Undeserving sinner. This is the entire truth behind uh, Sola Gratia. You know, our church, we affirm as a church that we hold to the seven, to the five solas, right? Uh, Sola Gratia means that we are justified by God's grace alone. That's why the five solas are Sola Gratia, Sola Fide, Soli, uh, Sola Scriptura, Solus Christus, and Soli Dea Gloria. Basically, what we're saying is we are justified by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, all for the glory of God alone. I know you know none of that points to us; it always points to God. Isn't that great? <coughs> but this this so this sola gratia idea is that it's His grace alone that saves us. That's that's what it does. We can't earn His grace in any way. In fact, the only thing that we actually earn in this life. Is wrath. That's the only thing we ever earn from God in this life. Our works of evil, that's what we would earn, is wrath and destruction. 
But God's grace, this is the best part about it, God's grace cannot be bought, can't be earned, and or won by the creature. That's what Pink said. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. Which makes makes a it a relief. <laughs> His grace is, is is a huge relief to me. Because I can't buy it, I can't earn it, I can't win it. It's just given to me by him. It's a free gift, free gift from Christ. So Scripture agrees with that as well. I want to go to Ephesians 2 first. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, and then we're going to go straight from there to Romans 11, 5 through 6. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Now hear the infallible, inspired Word of God. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Then as we turn to Romans 11, verses 5 and 6, it says, So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works, Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Let's pray and thank God for His Word. Father, we are so thankful for Your Word that it is infallible, inspired, and inerrant. It stands when all tests of men challenge it. It still stands. God, we trust Your Word and what You have said to us. God, we ask that You would remove the veil that we may see clearly this attribute of Your grace in our lives. God, we are thankful that your grace is shed forth for us. We ask that you would light the path for us that we may see where you're taking us. Help us to learn, help us to grasp. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So, it's clear through Scripture that God's grace is a great gift. It's... It's a great gift to save wretched sinners. And the best part about this great gift to save wretched sinners is that it's not based on any goodness in us because we know that we don't have any. You see, it's God's sovereign will to give this grace to us because it was never plan B for Christ to save us. It was always plan A. And He saves us through a work that we never did. It was the work of Jesus Christ. And it was from the beginning, from before the beginning, the covenant of redemption to save us, to shed forth His grace to us and put us under this covenant of grace. It was before the foundation of the earth. So, that's why I want to get into what Pink outlines as the principal characteristics of grace. Um, he outlines three principal characteristics of grace, and I think it's going to help us to really truly understand the, the scope and the extent and the power of His grace. The first principal characteristic of divine grace is this. It is eternal. 
I like how Pink puts it in the book. He says that it was planned before it is exercised. So basically, the plan of redemption was there before Christ ever even came to this earth to save us. The plan was there. Uh, we see that clearly described by Paul in 2 Timothy 1.9 when he says, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So grace was the plan from the beginning. The second principal characteristics of, of grace is this. It's free. You notice how he said that it is the free gift of God? We cannot buy it with good works. That is not how we get God's grace, by being good. Romans 3.24 says, And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So the free gift flows through the redemption of Christ Jesus to us. And the third principal characteristic, one that's appropriate for our church, is that it is sovereign. You see, God gives grace and it comes no other way. In fact, it is the very name of his throne. Have y'all ever thought about that? I thought about that as I was doing this study, and I thought how amazing that was, that the very throne he's seated on is called grace. We know that because Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So because it is unmerited, it must be sovereign. That Pink talks about that very clearly in his book, and, and I agree with him because it has to be sovereignly, grace has to sovereignly be given by God because it cannot depend on anything or anyone else. If it depended on anything or anyone else, then is it truly a gift of God, sovereignly given is it truly grace if it depends on us? You see, that's where the legalist falls. The one who tries to live their life and say that you have to, you have to abide by these man-made rules in order to be worthy of grace, that's where they fall on their face because that's not grace then. Because that's <clears throat> depending on someone else and something else and not God. And if it was on merits, then man has some say in the grace that he receives. And we know that, that, that not all receive grace from God. God's grace is given by him, and he doesn't need our help in giving it to us. Christ was all the help he needed. Christ's death on the cross, that's, that's, that's the beginning of grace for us. See, grace, you know, you know, it's kind of, you know, people don't like to hear stuff like this sometimes, I don't guess, but grace is really an exclusive thing, you know, because not all get it as we know. I mean, we're not, it's not universalism. Not everybody is, is a recipient of God's grace, but it's, and we see this pattern throughout Scripture. God shows that He, that he has chosen people 
to receive grace. How do we know that? Well, we see Abraham. Out of all the men on earth, he takes Abraham, the man who lived in the house of an idol maker, right? And he says, I'm going to make a great nation of you, right? He picks Abraham. Was Abraham perfect? Absolutely not. He was just as much a sinner as everybody else on the earth, but God chose him. Then we see the children of Israel, right? The descendants of Abraham chosen out of, <laughs> to be pulled out. And what did they do? As soon as they were set free from bondage, they begged to go back. They sinned. They constantly complained and murmured and fussed. Yet God chose them. Then we look at the people who followed the Lord, right? He chose a tax collector, the most hated man in Jewish society because they were all crooked and they touched the one thing that most Jews did not want them to touch, my money. There's a pretty big comparison to today's tax collector. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that tax collector, you know. But God chose a tax collector. He goes up to Matthew and he says, you know what? Follow me. And then he chose a hothead, a naked fisherman. Peter. You can't tell me that Peter didn't have a reputation in the town. As loud as he was in the examples that we see in Scripture, cutting off dudes' ears, trying to rebuke Jesus himself and say, Nuh-uh, no, be it not unto you. He, he was a hothead, and God, and God chose to give him grace. Then we look at a, a huge example in Acts, a murderer, a murderer. God shed forth his grace upon and Saul and saved him. And he, get, and he chose Saul. And because Saul became Paul, we now have some of the most wonderful teaching on Christ available to us in the, in the Bible. So Christ has, is showing the, the, same, the same attribute as God in his grace that you know, it's an exclusive thing. And this, to me, I think what this does for me is it shows me the beauty of His grace. Because He doesn't just choose those who got it together and seem like nice guys. He chooses some that are jerks and don't seem like they'd be the right one for the job, right? Yet He chooses them. And on page 68... <clears throat> He says something that I think is very good. He says, Nowhere does the glory of God's free and sovereign grace shine more conspicuously than in the unworthiness and unlikeliness of its objects. So nowhere do we see God's grace more powerfully shown than the fact He's choosing the most unlikely, unworthy people to be His chosen people. And then I look at myself and I look in the mirror and I say, You know what? Yeah. That's right. That's definitely right. But I think a great example we see is in the Corinthian church. Um, Paul formed the Corinthian church. And Paul had more problems out of the Corinthian church than just about any other church we read in Scripture. He had to write two long letters to them. In uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, through 11, he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? And then he makes a list. Do not be deceived. And, and this, this one you need to remember, okay? 1 Corinthians 6. 
if somebody comes in and wants to tell you everything's okay, I can live my life the way I want to, God God accepts me anyway, okay? First Corinthians 6 is a good one, remember, but 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteousness, unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now there's one part there that people are trying to tell you that's it's not what you think it is. Um, the word homosexuality here literally means man to bed with man. So don't let anybody trick you on that one, okay? That's what it means. But he says, none of those people will inherit the kingdom of God. And then listen to what he says in verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Look at this list of sinners. And you will be looking at the makeup of the Corinthian church. These are the types of people who started this church. And if we're honest, which I hope we all are in our own hearts, we're no better. Such were some of us. We're not, we weren't born free from sin. We're born in sin. And to me, this brings me to something that we need to address. What grace is not. Because many of us who were in the church before I took over as pastor have trepidation when we hear the word grace used at all. We do. It begins to make us have flashbacks of what we thought it was. And doing this study has helped me truly to see this distinction we need to make. Because grace is not what I used to teach. It's not what I used to teach. It's not what we learned before I started teaching. What was taught before me by many teachers who misused the word to twist grace into something different, that's not what grace is. That's not what the grace of God is. That's not His attribute, okay? Because listen, grace is not a license to do whatever we want. It's not our license. Grace does not mean that we don't have to read our Bible. And let me tell you why I'm giving you these specific points. Because these are specifics. We were told you don't have to read your Bible. You're under grace. Grace does not eliminate the very scriptures that Christ taught were important to our lives. So we don't take our Bible and turn to right before Matthew, put a cross and say the rest of it doesn't matter anymore. We don't unhitch the New Testament from the Old Testament. 
We especially don't unhitch the Gospels from the Epistles and just teach the Epistles and only the parts of the Epistles we like that we think we can turn into what we like. That's not what we do. Grace does not mean that we never seek holiness in our own lives. How about this? Y'all ready for this one? Elders, y'all are going with me on this trip. Are y'all ready? Grace does not eliminate our need for church membership. We need church membership in our lives. Um, I like what Brother Jesse was talking about Sunday morning somewhat. We need to, in, in Sunday school, how, how you were talking about how we need each other. We need to love on each other. We need to become even closer than we are, you know, to, to, to do things that, that, that help us with e- help each other, you know. If you're, in need, if you're in need or if you're not in need, let's come together and, and be a part of it. But we were taught in the old teaching that you don't even have to come to church. And grace, contrary to what Joseph Prince teaches, grace does not mean we never repent. Because understanding the grace of God has helped me to more understand that I need to repent daily for my sin. That I need to repent because I'm, 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 I sin daily. So I need to repent daily. And that is a grace of God that I can repent. And you see, all of this stuff that grace was misrepresented as is a slap in the face to the God who is full of grace and mercy towards us. It's not grace. We can't live however we decide because we're under grace. If we continue living a sinful life, the Word of God is clear on what is true of us. Any man who is in Christ cannot continue living a sinful life because if he does, what is he? He's not in Christ. It's impossible. We sin daily, but we don't continue in sin living a sinful life without any respect to God of of, of how we should live. We must look to Christ to see what grace truly is. Well, if you're not being convicted, something's not right. Exactly. You're a false convert, most likely. You can't. There's no way that you would live like that if you were convicted. Exactly. Because the first thing I think of when I hear the word grace is I'm, I'm not worthy of it. Exactly. But I'm thankful for it. So thankful for it. Goodness. But if you're not convicted, something's not right. Yeah. And you see, the, the misrepresentation of grace that we've been talking about, what that does is that tries to say, yeah, I'm worthy of it. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what it tries. It takes the opposite yeah. effect. Mm-hmm. It takes us from humble to what? Haughty. Yeah. And arrogant. Yeah. And it's misusing, it's misusing God's grace. But the God's grace, let's look at it. Let's, let's be true about it. God's grace is truly manifested in Jesus Christ. 
That's why John 1.17 is so awesome. And we're not going to misuse it anymore because we used to misuse John 1.17. Y'all will remember this if you're in my, in, under my preaching anytime. Probably Jesse, you probably, you, Brother Gizzard, you probably remember this too because I've probably taught this with you. But the, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And I used to teach that that means we don't deal with the law. We're under grace and truth under Jesus Christ. It doesn't say anything about getting rid of the one and liking the other. It just talks about how it was given, how it's manifested. The law was given through Moses. The law was given to Moses and he gave it to the people. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see, in grace, in Christ, grace and truth was fully revealed and perfectly exemplified according to Pink. Those are good words. We truly see grace in full example in Christ Jesus. We see it how it should be. Um, I uh, was digging into uh, Reformed Systematic Theology on grace and to see kind of what they talked about. And I think uh, they were talking about the covenant of grace which is what we're under if we're in Christ. We're under that covenant. Um, we're, not, we're no longer uh, shown righteous by whether we're doing the law perfectly. We're shown righteous by, the, by Christ if we're in Him. It says, Christ's spiritual kingship is covenantal, for He is the royal administrator of the covenant of grace. In the new covenant, the promises of the covenant of grace come to their clearest and highest expression. I love this. God will overcome the covenant breaking of his people by writing his law on their hearts and causing them all to know him and forgiving their sins. See, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. He purchased these graces by his priestly sacrifice and obtains them by his intercession. Is that not beautiful? The thought that God, what his grace is doing is his grace is overcoming our covenant breaking and he's brought us in to a new covenant with him. God's grace is manifested in Christ and then it is proclaimed in the gospel. Let's look at the gospel in its four parts and we'll see that clearly. You see, the four parts of the gospel, as we understand them, are God, man, Christ, response. Get ready. We're going to learn. We're going to we're going to be able to spout that off like crazy. Okay, God, man, Christ, response. So if we look at the gospel in its four parts, let's see how the grace of God is proclaimed in those four parts. First, God. He God is the author and the only giver of grace. He made us. And has rights over us, right? He is the judge. And that can be that can feel really scary at times. Because when you look at the second part of the gospel, man. Man is guilty. Period. We're guilty. The gospel tells us that clearly. We are sinners unable to get to God no matter how hard we try. We deserve death. Wrath, hell, and our only hope 
It's His grace. And what's the best part about His grace? That it doesn't depend on anything we can do. And then we see Christ. A clear manifestation of His grace. Grace perfected. And we see it displayed in His life. That He lived a sinless life. He fulfilled all of the law as He had to. In His death, He died. Taking our sin, taking the wrath and the punishment for our sin. And then He resurrected in power showing that that sacrifice was good enough to save us. And now, we respond to that grace with repentance and faith in Christ alone. And therefore we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, according to Scripture, all for the glory of God alone. So the grace of God is communicated to us, and I, and I love that Brother Jesse brought up conviction because the grace of God is communicated to our hearts through the third person of the Godhead, God the Holy Spirit. Through the conviction I need His grace, therefore I must depend upon Him to give it. And I must repent and trust in Him. So, and I love this part of it. This is awesome. Um, many of you know that one of the first studies that really got me to, to reform my theology and get myself on track to, to being a, a, a solo scripture kind of guy Let's, let's, let's depend on what the Bible says, not what is cool and not what will grow our church into a cool growth church and make us the popular church of the megachurch was a study of the Trinity. To understand the Trinity began to really just spark my imagination as far as what I needed to learn from the Bible. So, grace is shown completely in our triune God. Every member of the Trinity communicates grace. God, the Father, is the fountain of all grace. Through the eternal covenant of redemption, he is, that it is flowing out of the fountain towards man. And you want to know what's awesome about that? That God the Son is the channel of all grace. He is how it gets to us, through Him. We can only receive grace through Him, through Christ alone. And then God the Holy Spirit is the bestower of all grace. The new heart, the change in our lives, the grace that we receive daily because of the sanctification that we're receiving through the Holy Spirit. You see, He also points us, though, to the gospel which publishes grace and empowers us to repent and believe it. So truly, the work of grace in our lives is a work of the Trinity. I want to end how Pink ended. I want, I want to read you what he said. Uh, it's actually a quote from the late G.S. Bishop. And he said, Grace is a, provis is a provision for men who are so fallen that they cannot lift the acts of justice, so corrupt that they cannot change their own natures, so averse to God that they cannot turn to Him, so blind 
that they cannot see him, so dead that they cannot hear him, and so dead that he himself must open up their graves and lift them into resurrection. Truly, we were dead men in our sin, and the grace of Christ has opened up the grave and lifted us to eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your grace and your mercy in our lives. The, the grace shed forth on the cross through Christ is unbelievable. We could never earn it. We could never help you give it to us. But you've given it to us as the free gift. And we thank you so much that your grace alone has saved us. Help us to fully embrace the grace that you've given us in our lives and seek daily for more grace to live. God, we pray for those who are not in Christ that they would see this awesome, powerful grace that you have available, that they would hear the gospel and see the need for your grace in their lives, that you would change their hearts, that they would repent and trust in you and be saved. Sinner, run to Christ. He is your only hope. God, we are thankful for our people in our church. Bless each one here. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.